2: Welcome to the show. It's the Wednesday edition of The Word to Stand on for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as you know by now, every weekday at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word, we have time to take your phone calls and answer your questions, questions about the Bible, what it says, what it means. Uh, how we can use it, apply it in our day-to-day lives, uh, even what we believe and why we believe, we'll do the best we can to answer your questions. Here's the phone numbers: three four zero ninety five eighty five. That's three four zero ninety five eighty five. You can also call toll-free if you're out the lo- outside the local area by calling eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Numerically, that's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email your questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to do it now. It just started pouring here a few minutes ago, so please be careful. If you're going to call from your car, use the hands-free call now button on the free KSLR mobile app and you'll be connected directly to our studio. 340-9585, 340-9585, because it's Wednesday tonight, um, we have our Old Testament study Bible night, or Bible study night tonight, I'm teaching in uh, the end of First Samuel 22, and the first 12 verses of First Samuel 23, uh, we watch uh, King Saul's free fall into some of the worst places you can possibly imagine. Uh, lots of important application in this section of Scripture for all of us. So that's tonight. You can watch it at calvaryessay.com uh, tomorrow because um, it'll be Thursday. That means Paula will be live in the studio with me on the date, day edition of the program. Ladies, it is your day. If you have any questions or need any encouragement at all, Paula will be live here to take your phone calls. Uh, one more thing. I'm going to say this every day this week and, and um, until next Thursday, a week from now. Uh, As most of you know by now, Pastor Raul Reese is going to be here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio on Thursday, October the 5th. Uh, All of the seats have been given away, but you can watch it by live streaming calvarysa.com. We will have it uh, available to you if you are interested. Lots and lots of people are calling us because KSLR has told people the seats are are, are all taken, Um, but we don't have a big facility, so... Um, we are going to be packed. We would appreciate your prayers, hoping that people will get saved. Okay, let's take your phone calls and questions. Let's go to Troy calling. Online. Troy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey,
3: Pastor Ron, how you doing today?
2: I'm doing well, Troy. How about you?
3: I'm doing great. Thank you, sir. Um, Good. First of all, uh, Raw Reese coming in. I listen to uh, KSLR a lot. Um, during the day and they've still been promoting it just to let you know so if somebody from your church staff might might want to let them know that you guys are sold out that might you might stop No. Okay. You know uh, okay thank you um maybe they're available um that might be able to, to help keep the people c- contacting you as to proceed so
2: okay to- thank you with, uh, thanks Troy.
3: and in my uh the reason I'm calling you is I'm in uh, First Timothy, driving home. Just want to know your overall thoughts on First Timothy. Do you have any insight? I know that Paul was um, talking to Timothy relatively in a, at a young age when he was 30, 40 years old, probably in the ministry and uh, younger. But um, if you have any insight or just overall synopsis of the book itself, then I'll take your answer over the air, sir.
2: Thank you, Troy. I appreciate it. Thank you for the heads up about them still promoting it. Um. You know, 1 Timothy, of course, is the first of the pastoral epistles, and it deals with um, order in the church. It deals with um, more than just Paul's communication to Timothy. But remember, Timothy was called to be a pastor, so it's a a kind of an epistle of preparation as well. Um, it is a book that has great, great, great practical value. It is not my favorite of the Timothy. Second Timothy is because Second Timothy gives us the deepest look into the heart of the Apostle Paul at the end of his life. First Timothy written um, many years earlier uh, was simply Timothy established this order um, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. And then he goes on to tell them uh, to tell Timothy, this is how order in the church should be established. This is what a church service should look like. And it deals, of course, Troy, with everything from uh, the ordaining of pastors to uh, preparation um, of of, of, uh, Timothy for orderly worship. Uh, It deals with um, uh, Timothy's uh, youth and, and his physical weaknesses. He was apparently a man who was prone to being sick a lot and And so uh, I I just love the the book. But along with Titus, um, these are the pastoral epistles, and they they have great, great, great value. I think one of the things that we forget, Troy, in our church culture is that God is a God of order. Uh, We get so used to doing what we want or responding to our feelings, and that was what was going on in those early churches. And in Timothy's case, um, um, because he was a bit timid by nature, I guess I had a question about a pastor who was was an introvert. Uh, Timothy may not have been an introvert, but but he was a bit timid by nature. Um, um, Often older men tried to intimidate him, and Paul would say, don't let anybody look down on you because of your youth. So it wouldn't have been a natural instinct for Timothy to enforce uh, order in the church. Uh, And yet it's a job that every pastor has to do. Let me tell you a very quick story, and then we'll take another phone call. We had a a young man who's actually turned out to be one of the great blessings in our church. He's been with us now for, I think, a little bit more than five years. Um, But he's a guy that comes from a a wildly Pentecostal background. And he came in here the first time after hearing the radio program. And he uh, he said, well, you know, I can't wait to worship God. He got all excited. And he said, you know, so uh, where do we run around? And I said, what do you mean, where do we run around? <laughs> and he said, well, you know, in my old church we ran around during worship. You know, we just really had to get it off our chest because we were worshiping God. And and uh, another pastor on staff heard him talking to me, and I just looked at him, and he says, I'll take care of it. And so he talked to uh, to this man in our church, and he said, I said, "You know, we don't do that here." He goes, "Well, what if I want to? I mean, if I feel led by the spirit." So we tried to explain to him about uh, orderly worship, making sure that Jesus stays the center of everybody's attention and others aren't distracted from 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 worshiping Jesus because of what men are doing. And he looked at this pastor, and this pastor's a really big guy. And 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 uh, he said, "Well, if I run around, who's going to stop me?" And the pastor looked at him and said, "I will." And he almost left the Church over it, because he just thought that was quenching the Spirit. Now obviously he's grown, he's matured, he's learned a lot, and in the process of learning he's become such a, a wonderful asset to the Church, and his family has been such a blessing to us. But but see, that was the purpose of the pastoral epistles. This is what we need to do. Appoint elders in the Churches, and the elder or the overseer used in First Timothy. is is what we would call today pastors. Uh, There were house churches, but somebody has to be in charge. So, Troy, that's what the, the, the pastoral epistles are all about. And I absolutely love them. Love them. Hope that helps. Let's go now to David calling from San Antonio. David, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Did we lose David? Evidently, we lost David. David, if you're still on the air, please, uh, or in the car, you're you're welcome to call back. Um, I've just been told because of Troy's uh, reminder that the ad will be off tonight. Um, The computer timing to current programming is is the reason it will stay on until tonight, so uh, I'll keep reminding people, so thank you very much, Troy. And David, if you can hear me and we just can't hear you, why don't you try dialing again? We'd love to have your question. 340-9585 Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Ray. Pastor, on September 23rd has come and gone and nothing happened. Why do people keep making these false predictions? Ray, uh, I've been saying that for a long time. Now, they make false predictions because they, they like the attention it gets them. And in some cases, people are profiting off those false predictions, profiting on the fear of other people. September 23rd, for those of you who might remember, was to be the day, it was Saturday I think. Uh, it was a, when the, the the stars were lined up perfectly and it was going to be the time for the rapture of the church, ushering in the Great Tribulation. But But when people called me and asked the questions, and we had several calls. Um, I tried to convince him. Nobody knows the hour of the day. Don't listen to this nonsense. Don't waste your time. So, Ray, the better question is this. Why does anyone listen to these guys? You know, people like this, false teachers and heretics, they only have an audience if there's somebody listening. Why would we even spend one minute of our time, our valuable day, one minute, listening to stuff that we know isn't true you know all of these guys they come they go they make a little money they sell a few books they make some headlines and then they're gone and the damage that's done is left behind people trying to pick up the pieces of their lives if they fall into the trap of believing and they fall into fear they set themselves up for attacks from the enemy it's just a horrible 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 situation and ray it's never stopped and it's never going to stop No matter how many times I tell people don't listen, they're intrigued, and we spend way too much time surfing the Internet uh, instead of spending time in our Bibles. If we'd spend that time productively in our Bibles, we would know precisely that these things can't be true. So, why do people listen? That's the more intriguing question from my perspective. You are right. September 23rd has come and gone. Uh, okay, we've got David now back on the air. He said he must have hit, hit the mute. David, you're on the air.
4: Hi, Pastor Ron. Uh, Hi, David. Thank you and love you, all of y'all thank up, up there. He had a uh, something that really bothered me this past week. In fact, I had to walk around my building a couple of times with a young man and just pray with him and let him cry on my shoulder. You know how I get about this stuff. So uh, anyway... He's Jewish. He's married to a born-again Christian, and over the years I begged him to just, I said, just give it a shot, read John. He actually goes to a church with his wife every once in a while. Here's here's the tough part. He asked a very sensible question at work, and two of the people who are the most, I don't want to say they're most outspoken, but it's kind of obvious that, because they have said it in front of a lot of people, that they're Christian uh, and that they're saved. Uh, jumped to stop for even asking the questions that he needed and all he was doing was asking for you know leadership to help it and i it i was ashamed you know that uh some christians would would treat somebody like that and then uh just when he went back to him when i told him he needed to do that uh they just made it a little bit worse and said oh well you know you just have to figure it out on your own and it was just i can't go into specifics because it would yeah. anybody that was this thing may or may not know but uh it, it's just kind of crummy and, and i just want to encourage everybody out there who's who's saved maybe to you know we got to watch our tongues and watch how we treat people especially those who are unsaved because mm-hmm. um, i mean it it, it broke them and I, and I know if i weren't saved there's no way I don't want anything to even do with anything like that. Anyway, you don't have to respond to it, but if you do, I'm going to listen on the radio, and okay. I'll probably come see you Friday. So, Okay, David, me, thank you. you.
2: Still pray for you and the family every day. We miss you, too. Thanks a lot for the call. 340-9585. You know, one of the things that we have to do as Christians, I think it's really the basis of this whole radio program. Uh, we We have to take time to answer people's questions, but we have to answer them biblically, and we have to answer in love. So, because David couldn't give the details, I don't know what the situation was or what, what the, the, the misbehavior was, but, but here's what we need to understand, that we are commanded as followers of Jesus Christ to tell the truth in love, in love. Now David said he took a walk with this young man, and, and I think that's important. We need to take time with people. Now, this is off the subject for a moment, but, but when we go to church, we're completely oblivious, in most cases, to the new people who are in church. And one of the things we've tried to do here, we've worked really, really hard at it at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, is to make sure that we are focused on seeing and greeting and talking to and offering to pray with the people that we don't recognize, And in a case like this, where there are believers, especially vocal believers, who are not being sensitive to the needs or to the, to the circumstances that this unbelieving person was in, um, you know, we're, we're missing the opportunity that we ask God for. We want to be used by the Lord. Every Christian does. That's just built into us. But in order to be used by the Lord, we have to rightly represent Him. And the only way that we can rightly represent Jesus is to speak the truth in love. And we have to be willing to take some time. It is really a tragedy, I think, in our church culture, where people come to church, they ask questions about Jesus, sometimes even they answer an invitation to ask Jesus in their heart, and we say a quick prayer with them, say, oh, God bless you, go, goodbye. We need to invest in those people. We need to take time with them. We need to invite them to lunch. Ask them, what's been going on in your life? What brought you to this point? We're thrilled you're in the family, but now everything changes. How can we help? And that's what I mean when I say be active in church. Look for people you don't know. You know, when somebody new comes in, especially an unbeliever, they walk into a crowded church, they feel like a brown shoe in a tuxedo world. They don't fit in, they don't understand the language, they don't understand the hugging, they don't understand any of it, and they look around and they figure with with their life in a mess that everybody in that room is like a faith giant compared to them. And that's why we need to be real with them, we need to take time, we need to have compassion. one of the reasons that we tell our people here, look for somebody you don't know. Ask them how they got here. Ask them what we can pray for. Ask them how things are going, and let them know that we're thrilled to be sharing with them. You know, one of the things that Paula does all the time here is she'll see somebody new, if they're by themselves, she'll say, especially a woman, she'll say, come up and sit by me. And they say, oh, that's nice. And then when they find out that she sits right in the front row, they'd rather not. <laughs> but, 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 but that's really important. So thank you, David, for the call. I appreciate it very, very much. Here's a question from Stephanie. Stephanie wants to know, uh, Pastor Ron, can you talk about exercise? How much of our time should be spent exercising as opposed to focusing on God? Well, Stephanie, let me put it this way. Um, All of your time, all of your time should be spent focusing on God. All of it. Now, that doesn't mean you don't exercise. In fact, in my own experience, when I'm exercising, I need to focus on God all the more. Oh, Lord, don't let me die here kind of thing. But but exercise is important. Physical exercise is important, but you, but you don't do that without Jesus. You do that with Jesus. And Stephanie, I think that the, the tension in your question can be answered simply by if you're with Jesus when you're exercising, you are focusing on him. If you're with Jesus when you're in your Bible study, you're focusing on him. If you're with Jesus when you're looking into people's eyes and hearts and and wanting to know if they're saved, you're focusing on Him. So, I think it's important. Now, as far as physical exercise go, Paul says that bodily exercise profiteth little, but training in godliness, spiritual training, profits much. So, the relative importance, the relative value of those two things said said before us. He didn't say that bodily exercise is bad. In fact, I tell the church here all the time, you can't serve Jesus if you're dead. So, uh, exercise is important. You've got to be healthy. You've got to have energy. Um, but be careful, Stephanie, about examining your motives for exercise. If you're exercising to look good, if you're exercising because of ego, if you get carried away with exercise, then it like anything else that's good, can become destructive. If it's focused, taking your time focusing on the Lord away from you, then maybe a little more balance is in order. But, but exercise matters a bunch. I talk about it a lot when I'm talking to uh, the people here at Calvary Chapel. Um, but if you exercise with Jesus, you won't have difficulty understanding how to sort of balance out that time. Stephanie, stay healthy because you got to serve God. When you exercise, Jesus is right there. And anything else that you do, you're focusing on God. Just make sure that you're not compartmentalizing parts of your life. Uh, I, I think we wouldn't have any problems with questions like this. And Stephanie, I don't know you, so this isn't directed to you personally, but uh, we spend way, way, way too much time texting people or talking on the phone. We spend way too much time on Facebook and other social media platforms. We spend way too much time, especially we men. Now, I do not, so I don't want to mislead anybody. But we spend way too much time video games and doing other things, time that we could be spending studying the Bible. Again, there's no problem having fun. But everything has to be in balance, and everything has to have priority status in your life. So studying the Bible has to be priority one. Uh, Playing video games, priority a thousand, if you know what I mean. Exercise is in that same category. But, but, But being healthy matters. Being a good witness matters. And I think sometimes we who are Christians who let our bodies get out of control, I think we'd have a really hard time explaining to somebody uh, that self-control is a fruit of the spirit. So exercise helps. Exercise is important. You have to be healthy. But it just can't be consuming. So I hope that answers your question. I am a, an exerciser. Paul and I are at the gym um, all the time. And um, again, in my own case. I have to be with Jesus there. Paula at our gym is known as the, the Bible lady because she's always reading her Bible when she's on the, the machines and things like that. So, Stephanie, I hope that helps. Thank you very, very much. Uh, we've got Tanya at San Leandro. Good to hear from you again, Tanya. How are you doing?
5: Hey, how are you, Pastor Ron?
2: I'm doing really, really well.
5: So I wanted to ask a question. Um, I'm getting ready to start a new Bible study at a, one of the uh, verse-by-verse teach we will be studying the minor prophets. Um, and so the first one that's up is Amos. And I went online and I know that it's not always possible to, to cover all of the old, um, all the books of the Old Testament. I know Amos is one that, that wasn't online. So I wanted to see to get some historical context because that's one thing I'm really a little bit confused on is always what's happening during this time and what specific things can you tell me about Amos that would be beneficial prior to tackling uh, the, uh, the, the chapter and also um, the book. And also, um, I'll take the answer off air, but just anything that you feel uh, would be of importance to know. I mean, was he an average layperson or just just some historical context, and I really would appreciate it.
2: I can do that, Tanya. Thank you very, very much. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hold this question until over the break because uh, we don't have enough time to deal with now. We're just a little bit over two minutes and, um, Tanya, let me say this. Thank you, thank you, thank you for doing a Bible study uh, by actually studying the Bible. <laughs> that means so much. Uh, you know, uh, let me let me get on one of my pet peeves for a minute. And then, Tanya, you hold on until right after the break, and I'll answer your question with a little more depth. But one of my pet peeves lately is we are getting calls from people uh, literally all over. Uh, We're going to start a parenting study. We're going to start a a marriage Bible study. We're going to have a ladies Bible study or a men's Bible study. What books, Pastor Ron, would you suggest that we read and study together? And I get so frustrated because I want to say the Bible. A Bible study is not a a study without the Bible. And we don't want to spend time with men and what they've written. What we want to do is study the Bible. Once we've studied the Bible, then we can, with discernment, read what men wrote. Remember, the Bible is supernatural. And we, we've just lost that supernatural awe of God's Word. And, and God is working in your heart when you're reading the Bible. He's not working in your heart when you're reading a book written by somebody about the Bible. So again, I'm not anti-studying what other people wrote books have blessed me my whole life and now that i'm visually impaired i wish i could read more but it's the bible the bible the bible and tanya you make me proud because uh i I have come from this church you you no longer live here but you understand the value and the importance of the bible so uh, i'll get to your question just on the other side of the break uh Quick note, remember tonight, 1 Samuel chapter 22, uh, the end of it, and chapter 23, the first 12 verses, um, really important stuff as we now study David's uh, life as he goes through um, preparing to be Israel's king. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions, 340-9585, we will be back in two minutes.
1: back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to the second half of the program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Tanya, I know you're still listening, so Amos is... Uh, one of the minor prophets, as you indicated, minor doesn't mean they're not important. It simply means uh, relative to the other major prophets, uh, it's it's referring to the size and the scope of the prophecy. Um, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel are the major prophets, uh, the minor prophets, are the others, and they have very important words. Now, it's not a fun book to teach uh, the minor prophets. Most of them are not, because they all deal with judgment shows how God was always warning his people, calling them back to himself. They ignored God's warnings, and judgment would eventually come. Um, Amos uh, is is the most mysterious of all of the prophets, because we know nothing about him. We know only that he was a farmer. We know that uh, from um, his introduction. Um, uh, but he was an ordinary guy. Now, the the inspiration about this is that Amos was um, uh, an ordinary guy but used mightily by the Lord. So, you don't have to have any special theological training. You don't have to be somebody who was called at an early age like Jeremiah was. Um, this is simply a man who is a lover of God and God called him to use him. Now, his name means burden or burden bearer. And I think the the idea there is to communicate that he is a a servant. He's just a regular person. And most of his prophecies concern coming judgment on both Israel and the nations surrounding Israel. Uh, and that would mean that he was bearing the burden of that message. Imagine what it was like to get up every day and be the woe is me guy. Now, we don't have any insight into his personality, but this was a man who really carried this burden all the time. He had no formal training, um, no prophetic training. Um, He he just was a man who, um, as I said, was called by God. Um, Because he loved God, he was given this insight. He was primarily a prophet to Israel, um, though he's going to speak to other nations, including Judah. Um, He had a fairly long-term ministry. Um, Most uh, scholars date his ministry somewhere between 760 B.C. and 750 B.C. Now, he served as a prophet And and he served at a time when the people of Israel, the people of God, had been divided into two nations for more than 150 years, Judah and Israel, Israel the northern kingdom. Uh, And and Israel saw nothing but a succession of wicked kings. There were no good kings in the northern kingdom. And so that's why Amos was sent to him. Um, But it's a message of judgment. It's a message that, just like today was largely ignored but I think you're going to have some fun with it it's it's really a a book that I think that you can can uh, kind of sink your teeth in Um, focus on the application for us rather than than just teaching the historical perspective which is important never forget the context but um, I think the Lord will share with your heart Tanya that that um the same ignorance of God's warnings are being communicated to us today. So I hope that helps. Thank you very, very much for your question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a question from Iris. She wants to know, is holding an amillennial position heresy? Uh, Iris, the answer is no. Heresy uh, always deals with the person of character, the nature of Jesus Christ. Um, so, so... A millennial position that's eschatological um, it, it can't be classified as heresy now it's wrong uh, I can't tell you how wrong and how damaging it can be um, but, but basically an amillennial position says that there is no millennium that all of the references to the millennium um, are symbolic or allegory and, and there's no biblical position to support that in fact if you read the book of Revelation Uh, over and over and over it talks about a thousand years when the thousand years are over and jesus will rule and reign for a thousand years and it's almost as if the holy spirit is tripping on himself to make sure we get the idea that this is a literal one thousand years so uh it's not a heresy but but so much damage and the other thing that it does is it 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 renders you useless in terms of, of understanding the rest of prophecy if there's no millennial reign of Christ on earth, then so much of our Bible's prophecies are nonsense. Isaiah chapter 60 through the end of, of his book, 66. It means nothing. It's silliness. There's no poetic value. There's no value at all unless the millennium is real. So Iris, um, um, I don't know if you're studying it or you're, you're, you're listening to somebody who's studying it, but it is a position um, that I think will cause you to, to, to lose a, a, a lot of fruit in your walk with the Lord. Uh, it's very popular among intellectuals, but it's simply not true. So that's the best I can do with that. Adam wants to know, Pastor do you think angels are watching over us every day? No, Adam. I don't think they're watching over us. I think they're looking at Jesus. Bible says that they're looking at him for instruction. So Jesus is the one who's watching over us every day. And I want people to understand that this, this fascination that people have with angels misses the point that they're simply servants of God. And Jesus is the one who makes intercession for us. Jesus is the one who watches, uh, watches over us day in and day out and if jesus dispatches them and and tells them to take care of something that that's going on in your life then that's exactly what they will do you know in the in the old testament for example we got michael the archangel who was israel's prince but he didn't act on his own volition he acted in response to what god told him to do and wherever you see satan in the old testament you see michael at work behind the scenes daniel chapters 9 and 10 it's a perfect example of the the battle that's going on in the spirit realm. The, this invisible battle that we can't see. Uh, Daniel had these magnificent visions, and and he wanted to know what they meant. God wanted to know what they meant, but but the, the the devil tried to stop the interpretation from getting to Daniel, and that's why Michael was dispatched from heaven in order to make sure that the needed interpretation uh, got through to Daniel. So there's always that spiritual warfare going on in the background. Um, let me just say this about angels, though. I have seen in my own life, uh, one for me and one for Paula, uh, no, let me say three times now. I was going to say two, but it's all three times. We've seen what I am 100% convinced is angelic um intervention over potentially tragic situations the one for paula was um when when before i got saved and my life was falling apart so badly and her life was in such pain being married to ron the jerk uh, she'd go out and walk and and she'd she'd smell this uh she a heavenly smell there's no other way to describe it and she would smell that smell and she, she would say, it's Jesus, I know I'm smelling Jesus. I personally believe that it was an angel who was simply there to give her the message that God's watching and, and she's going to be okay, we're going to be okay. And I base that based on some dreams and visions that the Lord gave her in the process. Um, one time Paula was driving me or I was driving back then, I was going up to Bible college and um, we, were, we were trying to beat a terrible storm up the mountain, uh, and we, we didn't beat it. And we were going off the edge. We we're going uphill at this point, and we're going off the edge. The, the truck started slipping on ice, and it was going around and round. And, and it started going to the edge of the mountain highway. Um, there was no railing, nothing to protect us from falling. Uh, Paula from the passenger seat and when it, the truck circled around I could see uh, from my seat um, the end and, and w- I was absolutely convinced that we were going to go off the edge of the cliff and die um, and when all of a sudden for, with no possible explanation our truck sort of hesitated for a minute. It was in a spin to the right and suddenly it started spinning very slowly and safely to the left until we found ourselves in a lane, pointed down the mountain. It was like Jesus saying, "Ron, that was pretty dumb to try to drive in these conditions." But they had me. Another time was in Scotland when we were uh, doing some some street ministry, and one of the ladies one of the ladies who was traveling with us. We had a, a pretty big group at that point one lady who was traveling with us looked the wrong direction before crossing the street or she was stepping off the curb because the traffic goes in the opposite direction in Scotland and just that habit she looked the wrong way she stepped out into uh, into the road they've very very narrow roads and one of their big buses was barreling down and when she stepped off there was no way that she wasn't going to be killed no way um, I, I i sort of screamed Um, and she's back on the curb. And I'm convinced with no doubt at all in my mind that that was angelic intervention. So angels are there for us, but they're only there because Jesus tells them to be there. So Adam, I hope that answers your question. My point in all of that is our fascination shouldn't be with angels. When people tried to worship angels when they saw them in the Old Testament... They would simply be embarrassed. No, stand up. Do not worship me, for I too am a servant of God. So our fascination shouldn't be with angels, Adam. It should be instead with Jesus. He's always watching, and God sees everything all the time. 3409585, if you have a question you'd like to call in. Charles says this. It makes no sense to me that Jesus will still have wounds in heaven since heaven will be perfect. Can I have your thoughts? Well the wounds in heaven, and we know it from Revelation chapter 5 verse 6, where John says in this vision, I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. In other words, this lamb looking as if it had been slain was a center of worship. And the idea here, Charles is that in heaven, and you're right, heaven will be perfect, but in heaven, those wounds will be gloriously and beautifully perfect. I have a hard time describing this. When we look at Jesus, we will see how much he loved us. We will see those grotesque scars that came from that brutal, ruthless attack on this person. The same scars that the Emmaus Road disciples saw when they sat down to break bread with Jesus and they suddenly knew who He was. We'll see His face. You know, Isaiah says that His face, His visage was marred. So it wasn't even recognizable in human form. And we're going to look at those grotesque scars and somehow they'll be the most beautiful things that we've ever laid eyes on. Because every one of those scars in heaven for eternity will say, this is how much I love you. This is how much my Father loves you. This is how much the Holy Spirit loves you. We were willing to suffer this indignity just for you. So that's how it makes sense. I often say that Jesus will be the only handicapped person in heaven And I use that example, Charles, because I want people to really understand how much Jesus suffered just to prove how much he loves us. So I hope that makes a little more sense of it now. Here is a question from Daniel from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, the Bible says that the prince of the power of the air works in the children of disobedience in Ephesians chapter 2. When I was saved, an evil spirit came out of me and was trying to keep me from praying to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've always wondered why I had this experience, but my question is, I didn't know that this evil spirit was in me before I got saved. So I'm wondering, are all people who are not saved controlled in some way by an evil spirit? Daniel, the answer to your question is absolutely. Now, like you, we don't know it. We would argue that it's not the case. No, I'm free to make my own choice. But remember, Paul says in the book of Romans that we're slaves to sin. Or we're slaves to righteousness. But make no mistake, we're all slaves to something. So we're all controlled by the little g God of this world. That's Paul's point in the book of Ephesians. Now, in your case, you said an evil spirit came out of you. I'd be interested to find out what that looked like or what that felt like. But uh, but I think more than an evil spirit that was in you... It was sort of the oppression of these evil spirits to keep you from praying to receive Christ. I think that was sort of a last-ditch stand. But remember, God had His sight set on you, you were chosen before time began, and, and the devil can't beat um, um, the Lord in any way, shape, or form. So. That's probably why you had that experience. It was just to show you God's power. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Um, And the fact that you didn't know that the evil spirit was in you is is simply um, the way that we know for sure that we were being controlled, not possessed by an evil spirit. Daniel, I doubt you were possessed by an evil spirit. Let me give you an example from my own life. Uh, As much as I love the Bible now, um, when I first got saved, uh, the, the first day that I was saved, I got this genuine leather King James version of the Bible with large print, and I loved it. It smelled so good. A friend bought it for me, had my name on it, Brother Ron Arbaugh, somebody put on there, and I loved it. So I know Christians read their Bible, so I started to read their Bible, and, and every time I'd open it, I would get almost nauseous. Um, uh, I know that there was a spirit at work keeping me from from really digging into the Word of God. Now, this fight, Daniel, went on in, in my life for about six months. And finally, one day, I closed my office door, picked up that Bible off my desk and said, I don't care if I get sick, I want to read the Bible. And when I opened it and when I began to read it, I sort of got it. Now, I don't mean to imply that there was something supernatural going on or, or that, that I, I suddenly got really, really spiritual. It wasn't that at all. But I understood if the Bible said this, it meant that my life has to change in this way or that way. And and I remember that battle with those spirits, evil spirits, so clearly. I'm saved, I wasn't possessed by them, but believe me, knowing uh, what I was called to do, Believe me, they didn't want me to open that Bible because when I did, I got it. And when I really started to open that Bible, when I decided once and for all, Daniel, that that Bible was now going to govern my life, my life changed so dramatically, so quickly. But make no mistake, there was an evil spirit at work. So I think that's kind of the same thing that you're trying to describe. I'm I'm, I'm pretty confident that you weren't possessed by an evil spirit. Now, there is one possibility, and I've seen it a lot with drug users. Um, Drug users invite evil spirits in. Um, If we're not in control, the enemy's going to try to take control. So if you have a drug background, uh, it's possible that there was an evil spirit in you. And when you were getting ready to pray, God forced him out. It was like Jesus calling him out, casting him out of you, if that was the case. But if, but if that wasn't the case, if you weren't pursuing sorcery or witchcraft or or into mind-altering drugs, things like that, probably it was just the oppression that you were experiencing, Daniel. Be interested to hear more. You might email me some details on it. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. How am I doing on time? you got about six minutes. Um... Paul wants to know, is it okay to get a tattoo? And then in parentheses, he's got, or several. Um, Paul, I don't know how old you are. If you're an adult, yes, it's okay to get a tattoo. It's okay to get several tattoos. Um, The Bible doesn't talk about tattoos. Again, Leviticus 19, I know, says don't tattoo, but that's a completely different context describing uh, a, a, a ritual worship of demon spirits. So, um, we are free, to, Paul, rather, to get tattoos, uh, make sure that they honor the Lord. As a Christian, we don't want to, to get something on that's going to bring embarrassment or shame to the Lord. Um, but, but, yeah, it's okay. If you feel fine with it, um, if you're married, if your wife is okay with it, then go ahead and do it. Don't worry about it. Um, I, w- I will say this, and I want to be very clear. Paul, if you're living at home and you're a kid who's not yet on your own, then it's not okay to get a tattoo if your parents tell you it's not okay to get a tattoo. Submit to the authority of your parents if that's your situation. But if you're on your own, you're independent, you love Jesus, pray if Jesus, he'll check your heart, examine your motives, um, and you can get some tattoos that honor him. That's on you. So, I hope that answers your question. We have a lot of people who are pretty heavily tatted here at our church. Um, I'll share this um kind of good news report uh with, with you in the radio audience. We've talked, Paul and I have about our son Ronnie, who is really heavily tatted. Um and and his tattoos, uh, long before he got saved were pretty gross tattoos. Uh, on his arm he had this um bare breasted nearly naked woman uh, and it was a pretty large tattoo on his right arm and of course because he's now working in the professional world he had to cover that up all the time um, when we went to to see him uh, when he actually he came to church at the beach when we were on vacation we always hold a, our own church service on the beach uh, um, he he one of the the guys that there was a tattoo artist from our church who moved back to san diego and he and ronnie started talking and um uh, i unbeknownst to me or to Paula um, Brandon was talking to him about I can cover those tattoos and so Ronnie sent us a picture not too long ago and, and that that gross tattoo's been covered with a picture of Jesus now you can't get get rid of them, but that that really really bad tattoo was covered with a picture of Jesus and it looks great and it just an indication to to a mom and dad who love their son. Of what God is doing. And how he's at work in their heart. So Paul keep those things in mind. Paul. I'm sorry. Paul uh, was the last question. Michael. Says in the parable of the sower. Why did Jesus say. If you don't understand this one. How we understand any parables. Well Michael. Uh, the parable of the sower. Matthew chapter 13. Mark chapter 4 I believe. Um, th- those th- that, that is the foundational parable and Jesus it's the only parable that Jesus himself gave us the meaning for and that's why it's that's why it's so important and he says to his disciples because they weren't getting it you can see the look on their face and he said, you don't understand this, you slow of heart, how we understand any parable. And Jesus, Matthew 13, Mark chapter 4, there's a place where Jesus begins to deal with his disciples and those who were in opposition to him in a completely different way. He spoke in parables. Now, parables were illustrations of truth. And so what he did in the parable of the sower is give us the meaning of the symbols. There's a hermeneutic concept called expositional constancy. And that means in a parable the symbols if it's the same symbol that's going to be used it means the same thing all the time so jesus was sort of giving them the answers to the test the test that's going to take the form of other parables Um, the field is the world the seed is the word of god Uh, the sower that's us we're the believers Um, the soil uh, was a picture of the hearts that the seed was going to fall upon and then the result, of course, of 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 what that seed would, would or would not produce. And so he was giving us these definitions so that we would understand later what they mean in all of the parables. So it's a foundational parable, you understand that, and we don't have to guess what it means at all. It's the easiest one in all of of, of all of Jesus' parables to teach because Jesus gives the meaning. So that's why he said that. You know, if, if in this parable of the sower, the birds are evil, and we're told that, then every time you see birds in another parable, then it's evil. You know, when we talk about the, the parable of the mustard tree, mustard tree, which is the small small tree, trees, grows into this big, ungainly tree, and so big that the birds of the air can come and find rest in its branches. That's not a good thing. Why? Because birds, according to Matthew and to Mark, are evil so when you see birds resting in the branches of the tree it's not a good thing so Michael I hope that answers your question boy time went fast today thank you for your questions and your calls, you've been listening to The Word to Stand On For Life. Best news of all, Paula will be live in the studio with me tomorrow. Ladies, it's your day, the day day edition of the program. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On For Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Tell somebody that Jesus loves them. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On For Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.